The mainstream media likes to push this narrative that Israel is a wholly welcoming place for queer and trans people, and that is a lie. Just like America, big cities tend to be safer, but they're not by any means perfect. Before I left for Israel, I was told that if I wanted the truth, a non-glossy version of what it means to be queer in Israel, I had to talk to Hen Ariely. She is a lifelong activist who just became the deputy mayor of Tel Aviv. You'll hear some really amazing in-the-weeds stories about her activism and working behind the scenes to affect change in her country. She also talks about what it looks like now that she's technically a government employee. Now, this is episode three of our four-part series on queerness and Jewish life. If you missed the first two, go check out my interviews with Rabbi Denise Egger and Uzi Evan. Uzi Evan is 78 years old. He's older than the nation of Israel itself, so he has a really cool perspective to share. All right, on to my interview with Hen. From Luminary Media, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A. You are the new deputy mayor of Tel Aviv. That's right. That seems like a really big deal for a major metropolitan city in the Middle East to have a lesbian deputy mayor. Does it feel like that to you? Yes and no, uh, because Tel Aviv is kind of, uh, we'll probably talk about it uh, uh, more later, but Tel Aviv, it's a pioneer metropolitan in the terms of LGBT rights. And we always had, like 20 years ago, we had the first uh, openly lesbian council member, Michal Eden, and she was the first in Israel in general. And after that, many other came and every round we had council members, but it's the first time that we have a deputy mayor that is openly lesbian. And it's a wow, of course, but I think it's more wow that because I'm a woman and women in the LGBT community are most of the times aside. And yeah, you have a lot of or a large handful of openly gay men serving in your parliament, the Knesset, but not any women ever to serve. Yeah, we had one, Marsha Friedman, but she came out after she she left the Knesset. She was uh, one of the most uh, radical uh, and on-spot women politicians. And it was a shame that back then she she didn't feel safe enough to come out. For me, being the, the first uh, lesbian deputy mayor in Tel Aviv is kind of, uh, I'm, I'm honored for my, for my feminist identity in an equal way as my lesbian identity. That's interesting. But in Israel, you, you see women women position in Israel, I, I can't say it's good because we have backlash and we're going f- backwards. But I think, of course, when you compare it to Iraq and Iran and Jordan, and so women's status here is, are great, but we still know, don't have equality, gender equality in general, specifically women and men, and specifically LGBT rights. And so you were working as an activist for many, many years, pushing the government to do things. Is it weird to now be the government? Of course. But you need to understand that we have a really different ruling system in Israel. First of all, we do not have a constitution. It's a, a first fact you should know to understand these issues. Because in the States, you have a constitution that gives you most of the LGBT rights that you need. And we don't have it. So we really needed to fight for every basic right, just for being ourselves, just for equality, just for non-discrimination in the workplace, for example. It was not 
based in any constitution, so we needed to fight it in court. Most of our rights that we do have in the LGBT community in Israel, as in for now, were achieved by appealing to the Supreme Court, not by legislation and not by working to promote bills, because any, most of the bills that we did promote over the years didn't pass. And that's because there's such like an ultra-conservative uh, coalition that like is in power? Yeah. And the Knesset? Yeah. Um, we need to understand that the core subject of the Israeli society in general, not just in the terms of LGBT rights in general, is the lack of separation between religious and state. You probably heard that by now. Yeah, and that's the basis for Israel. Yeah, but religious is managing our life. And uh, for example, marriage. It's the easiest example that I can give you. In Israel... LGBT marriage, same-sex couple marriage, it's not an issue like in the state because we do not have a civil system that registered you as married. The only way to get married in Israel is through a religious institute. If you're Muslim, you have to get married through a Qadi, which is the, the, rab, the Muslim rabbi or the Muslim priest. And if you're a priest, you have to get married through a priest. And if you're Jewish, of course, you have to marry through the rabbinical system. And it's the only way. So gay marriage, it's not a LGBT issue. It's a civil issue. And it's it's issue, it's, it's in the core of the Israeli society, which is the lack of separation between religious and state. Even straight people are choosing to marry in an alternative way as in like an activism act against the, the rabbinical system that force you to, to get married through this really old and harsh system. You know, there's women in Israel that are not allowed to get a divorce, even that their husbands are really doing horrible things to them because their rabbinical system is based on shlom bait. And even if you're complaining that your, your husband is hitting you or is financially violent towards you, their rabbinical system won't give you a divorce. You need to explain why you need a divorce and you need the approval of the rabbinical system. And that's for every marriage. That's for every marriage. And it's a horrible process. You stand there and, and, and those rabbinical judges are judging you. Why are you divorcing? Why are you not, are you not fighting for, for your house? And why are you explaining? Uh, it's really harsh um, that the rabbinical system is running our life and... I don't have anything against God or against Judaism. I practice my life uh, really secularly, but um, I'm fighting in the civil arena for the past 20-something years. And the values that motivates me are values that are existing in the core of Judaism. And I'm, I'm a Jewish female, and, and the narrative must be wider. That is so interesting that in Israel, a lot of the issues facing the LGBTQ community are actually issues facing the whole community because of the rabbinical system. So a lot of your fights, are, it sounds like, are in fairly intertwined. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think if you want to look at the LGBT rights from the bird's eye, it's, it's related to what I previously said, the, the lack of separation between religious and state, because the, the religious institute is managing the core uh, structures of our lives. Family, business, daily, daily life, everything is managed through those systems. And then we really don't have the freedom to choose. It's okay if you want to marry by a rabbi with ultra-Orthodox ceremony. It's okay, but you need the option to choose. And we don't have the option to choose. So And nobody does. Nobody yeah. does. So coming out of it, you can even not get married if 
you're Arab and I'm Jewish, we cannot get married in Israel. Or if you're Christian and I'm and I'm, uh, and I'm Muslim, we cannot get married. Or if I'm not a kosher Jews, Jewish for marriage, such as uh, Levi or Kohen, you're Jewish, so you kind of know those expressions. So the rabbinical system is really strict and old-fashioned and traditional uh, narrow-minded um, perspectives. And... It's forced on our lives. Even if I will marry by a reformed rabbi, it won't be recognized by the government because I won't be registered officially as married. Just ultra-Orthodox rabbi. Just This is the only way that I can be married in Israel. So why did you then choose to get married? Well, I didn't. I'm not married. I call Halit my, my wife because it's... It's easier to say my wife and you to understand what is the meaning of her in my life. Because wife is a word that everybody can understand the meaning yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Because this she's the woman she's the love of my life and she's the woman that I choose to live my life with. So she's my wife in in the modern common word. So when I say my wife, you understand. Uh but we didn't get married. Um I perform ceremonies for others because I understand that it's a part of my fight as, as an activist. As long as we cannot allow to get married in Israel, I feel obligated to provide an, an alternative. And by performing ceremonies, I have to admit, I kind of reconnected to that. And I can really emotionally understand the need of people to tie the knots where... It's not allowed by the country. It's a revolutionary note for them. And and the next step of it is to understand that we don't need it because our love is our love and we're here to stay. And I say we are normal too because we have 40,000 uh, LGBT families existed in Israel. And also legally, we're getting recognized, our family getting recognized, but uh, it's a long process. It's so interesting hearing what different cultures value and like the family is so strong in Israel. I know that you helped to lead a large protest last year uh, defending gay men's right to surrogacy. And that is not something that would inspire a lot of outpouring of affection in my country. You know, we're fighting for other rights. And of course, the family um, isn't really part of the conversation. I met a couple of doctors who work at the um, the transgender clinic uh, in Tel Aviv, which is government funded. And one of their biggest priorities was fertilization for trans people. And <laughs> in my country, trans people are fighting not to get fired and not to be denied housing and healthcare and not to be murdered. There's like a huge issue right now. And fertility is really not part of the conversation. It's not the most urgent problem of the transgender community in Israel, fertility. Transgenders are still really unsafe in the public arena. Uh, it's the most um, sensitive community for uh, suicide and for violence and for oppression and discrimination. But this example uh, shows you a wider example about the Israeli culture and the last summer that we had here and why we succeeded to have the most big demonstration ever because the most core value in Israel society is family. No matter in which uh, a community you're coming from, the, the value of family is a high value. And we strategically um, got this and used this to promote this big demonstration. It wasn't by accident. 
I have to tell you the behind the scene story about the last summer uh, big demonstration and, and strike. Summer 2017, we had adoption bill running in the Supreme Court because same-sex couples cannot adopt in Israel. And the welfare ministry sent a letter full with hate and really harsh words such as same-sex families are a burden and adoption is hard on kids and you don't need to put that extra burden on kids. The community was mad. We had smoke coming out of our ears and we came out to the street. We organized. So in our work plan, we planned to have a big fuss in the summer uh, that will continue the 2017. And then the surrogacy happened and it wasn't planned. We didn't know that it's coming up for vote. And we were planning uh, to do it around families anyway, because we had two bills, two, uh, two um, petitions to the Supreme Court regarding uh, same-sex families of women. And then surrogacy happened. And then we had a lot of um, anger from the community that's Always what pulls us out for the streets are gay issues, not lesbian, trans, bisexual, queer, that were coming out to the streets all over again for white privileged reasons. And it was really hard to stand there as the Aguda, the head of the Aguda, and to say, we have an opportunity to write history. And what do I do with that criticism? Do I say, okay, so let's not pull out for the streets. Let's not go out there because it's, you're right, it's a gay privilege issue. Or let's use that foot in the door to really do something huge that will help all the other letters at the LGBT community and will use the, the fact that we are in the public arena now to put their contents that are not normally written or told about, such as the violence towards the transgender community. What happened is that we knew that a big demonstration won't be enough. So we decided to pull out a strike. Now, you have to understand that the only way that you can strike in Israel is if you are a workers' union. We are not a workers' union. LGBTs are not, organizations are not workers' union. So it was really unlegal for us. It's not that easy to say, I'm striking. It's against the law. Like if I could come to my employee and say, I'm striking today, you say, no, you're fired. So it's really brave to say, and it's reclaiming the meaning of strike. Because we said the LGBT community in Israel is striking. And we took a big chance around it because it could have been a big flop because we, we advised other organizations and other media people and people from workers' union, we want to pull up a strike, what do you think? So everyone told us, everyone, in all those three arenas, civil arena, media, and, and unions, it won't work. You need, it won't catch, it won't be like viral. You need um, a, a gay celebrity to say, I'm not going to work today. And if we'll have five of those, your strike will pull out. And the CEO of the Aguda and me were like, 
talking and we say, no, we feel that it's not enough to go out to the street. It's not enough. We went out to the street a year before and it's not enough. And we need to give our community something to do that they couldn't resist. And everyone was so annoyed again by the surrogacy and by the other stuff. And a transgender woman was almost, uh, was severely beaten up in the south of Tel Aviv those days. So we had, everything was boiling. And then we just pulled up a Facebook uh, event that named the Israel LGBT community is striking. Come strike with us. And what happened after that was history because we had over 300 companies supporting our strike saying, if you're my employee and you're gay and you want to strike that day, I support you. And we had 300 companies and you need to understand that it's really different. It's not the same. In America, you have the, the business sphere is supporting the LGBT cause. In Israel, they're so scared to do so because of the religious sector. We don't have uh, um, vodka, gay vodka absolute and we don't have Google that colors. We didn't have that until a few years ago. So this protest last year, the anger from the surrogacy law is what got people on the streets. It's what the media wrote about, but the effects are huge and wide ranging. Yeah. First of all, I have to, uh, uh, it's important for me to, to mark that as a feminist, it, for me, it was really complicated that this is the topic. And I fought really hard to understand that if I would have stopped it, I had the power to stop it. But if I wouldn't stopped it, we, we didn't have this written in history. And it's true. We came out to the street for a privileged white gay reason, but on the stage in front of 100,000 people, broadcasted live in four channels. So more than half a million people were watching. I, six out of 12 speakers on the stage were trans. And we had, out of the 12, just one talking about surrogacy. And we have an elderly trans woman, one of the pioneer trans community in Israel, speaking on the stage in front of the audience. And this really brave young transgender female that spoke and shouted her pain. And this speech got into many houses. And this, for me, is radical. It's radical. So I'm okay that people will blame me that I'm with the boys and we took uh, everything because it's surrogacy, but this, this was a huge opportunity to miss. And I could be, you know, really radical and right and alone at home or with hundreds of thousands of people there eating from my hand the content that I want to give them. So they came because family is a core value in Israel, but they came and they heard others and they kind of suddenly realized that the LGBT community is not just gays and lesbians. And we have other uh, causes to fight for. And I know that the criticizers will say, uh, yeah, they you had trans on stage, and but I will do it all over again the same. I think we need to be much more political and smart in our fight, not just in Israel, in all over the world. And if you want to do, and if you want to write history, you need to be brave with what you think. So I know that the transgender community might be angry with me that I didn't um, 
say, let's do a big rally about the transgender that was almost gotten beaten to death, but it doesn't mean that I'm not working for that transgender. And especially in my new position at the municipality, because I'm in charge of the welfare and public health administration in the Tel Aviv municipality. And so when earlier I said that Israel was prioritizing surrogacy, it sounds like that was just an issue that everybody was able to sign on board with. And so at the rally, you were able to use that to talk about the issues of the trans experience. Exactly. Exactly. That was not covered by the media that I read, which is so interesting. Because the international media kind of framed it like the surrogacy rally, the surrogacy demonstration. I, I used my power with many people that are working in the media from the community to say, guys, it's not the surrogacy cause. We are working, it's the LGBT demonstration. It's not the LGBT strike. It's not the surrogacy strike. And, you know, I shouted on a, on a editors, said I won't come. I was like the hottest name in, in last summer and everyone wanted to interview me and was like, I won't come to your, to your show unless you will frame it as the LGBT cause, not the surrogacy cause. And the gross reality of our situation in this year of the world is that had it been a, you know, march for trans rights, a march to stop, you know, when this woman got beaten in Tel Aviv, less people would have shown up, you know, which is gross to say. But it's true. Politics in the dictionary means power positions. And when I'm saying that the civil society needs to be much more political, it's not in a left or right or in in that party or the other party. In, In the means that as a civil society, we need to understand that politics is changing the power positions. And our civil causes are politics. For me, being a lesbian, it's... It's a political act because I'm trying to change the power positions that now are 100% towards heterosexuals and I want to change that. And so I am a political figure and I need to understand that and I need to use political tools and I need to be able to read the political map. Again, not left or right. The political map that if I want to promote change, I need to understand that we have power and make people believe that we have power and make the Israeli society come and support us. Because those that were in the rally last year was not all LGBTs. We have lots of supporters from Israeli society came to demonstrate with us in Rabin Square last year. We were maybe 30, 40% from from LGBTs. Others were liberal, progressive people that through the narrative that we drew on, on the political map suddenly realized that, wow, they cannot have families. What? How someone controlling what it's like, and it was motivating them to come out to the streets and support us. And it put the LGBT cause in the front line, we were in the first subject in every news broadcast for three weeks in a row. It's amazing in Israel being such a complicated security issues country to have that topic on every news in any, in any hour, the morning news, the noon news, the, the, the evening news. For almost a month, we were the most large topic that was covered. And this is, it's created a a huge change. It's one of the most profound civil 
causes and narratives that are existing in, in the Israeli society. It was not like that five years ago. That's huge. And that's huge. And this is what we need to maintain. This is our challenges in the LGBT community. And if you ask me, our challenge is to look at that wider, outside the LGBT rights talk. We need to, to see that equality is empty if it's not for everyone. So tell me this. I told you I spoke with Uzi Evan. He said something that surprised me, which is that the goal of the queer community in Israel is to assimilate its heteronormativity. And that is pretty um, antithetical to like American goals for most people. And I just wonder if you agree with that. Let me see if I got right what Uzi is saying. Uzi is saying that our goal is to heteronormative our lives. Yeah, to live, um, to assimilate with the rest of straight people, as opposed to in America, we tend to live in like a gay ghetto, a gay neighborhood, and we have gay culture. And he's saying that the goal is to have one culture and one neighborhood in Israel. It's a really romantic perspective. But I think the, the human nature is to come live in communities. You know, the Ethiopian community, most of them are living together because they feel that they have like the equal group. And, and I feel the sense of community in the LGBT identity. Let's talk for a minute about identities because the LGBT identity is always an additional identity. You cannot just, just be LGBT. It always comes it's like a different, another additional panel on, on, on your body. It's like, I'm Jewish, I'm lesbian, I'm Israeli, I'm feminist, I'm lesbian. I cannot just walk in the world just being lesbian without my other identities. So um, other identities are less community-oriented than the LGBT identity, and I see it like that. Ethiopian boy can be the only Ethiopian boy in school, but he comes home and his family is Ethiopian. So he feels a part of. And a young lesbian girl, she can be the only lesbian girl in school. And she comes home and she's the only lesbian in her family. And she's the only lesbian in, in the military. She, she goes. So the urge and the need of a community is much stronger for the LGBT identity more than others. So yes, I agree with Uzi that we more tend to blend in other communities because you don't want to, um, um, you know, what is identity crash? It's for, for example, I have a friend which is a lesbian and a religious woman. And for years, her religious identity was clashing with her lesbian identity because religious religion in Israel is not acceptive of, lesbian and gays and transgender. So she was in internal emotional conflict between her beliefs. She knew that she was gay, but the God that she believes in say that gay is not allowed. So this is identity clash. Uh, but we are so creative and working uh, outside the box and our need to be accepted ex and, and to be a part of the community force us to really kind of break the walls. I will re-say the goal. I think the goal of the, the Israeli LGBT cause is, I, I'm comfortable with the, the expression to heteronormative the, the, the thing because I think that where I come from, the goal is 
we can be whoever we are, wherever we are. I was born and raised in Haifa, which is a northern city, really not that big, but um, just an hour and something drive from here. And I'm old. <laughs> uh, there was no internet when I grew up. So I couldn't ask Google, I'm in love with my best friend. I'm scared. What is it? What is this? What I'm feeling? And I had two uh, 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 suicide attempts that gladly I survived from. But it was hard years because I had no one to reach out to me. So the goal is to be everywhere and to be safe everywhere, not necessarily to be heteronormative, to be whomever we are. If we choose to have family, rainbow families, so be it. And if we choose to live in a relationship with four people with no kids, that three of them are female and one of them are male, so be it. Everyone can choose to be polyamoric, to be pansexual, to be bisexual, to be uh, transgender. We can be free with our identities wherever we are. I had the feeling that the only way I can be me if I move to Tel Aviv. I ran away. I took a suitcase and ran away to Tel Aviv. And I don't want it to happen anymore. So we're working really hard on the ground to make the, the little hen all over Israel to feel differently. So I agree with Uzi in that aspect. That, But it's not really from the, from the urge to blend. It's from the urge to be safe in our hometowns. We, we're not, like, if you're 15 years old, you know they need to be scared in the streets that you grew up, you know. For me now, to march at Haifa Parade, I'm in tears for the whole parade because I wish there was a Haifa Parade when I grew up. And do you feel safe in Haifa now? Yeah, but, you know, safe, even Tel Aviv is not safe because Israeli society is conflicted and we have the government leading a hate and and scare policy for years now. So we are afraid from the different. We are uh, intolerant for someone who's different than us. And ignorance and scare lead to violence. Violence is the end result of ignorance, scare, lack of knowing, lack of willing to open your mind. So at the end of it, you become violent. People are not just violent out of nowhere. It's due to the education system that is not supportive enough. And, you know, a, a year and a half ago, two gay men were in Rothschild Boulevard, was severely beaten up just for being gay. So Tel Aviv is not also not safe because Israeli society is not, still not a safe place for us, but it's getting better. And, and so is there conflict then that they broadcast Tel Aviv as being this queer safe haven of the Middle East when it's not that for everybody? First of all, Tel Aviv is great, okay? You can be free here. You can, I can safely go with my, uh, my wife hand in hand in Tel Aviv. In, it's in a better situation than in Haifa or in Jerusalem or in Beersheba. But we need to understand that it's, we're still living in a certain atmosphere. And so in Tel Aviv, I believe that 30% of the citizens of Tel Aviv are LGBTs. Most of the business owners in Tel Aviv are gay. Not just the gay businesses. You, we don't, people ask me why you don't only have one gay bar, because m most of the bars are gay-friendly. But it really depends whomever you are. If you're a gay Palestinian, Tel Aviv is not safe for you. Israel is not safe for you. 
and, and the territories are not safe for you. You're in problem. You're in a big problem. You, you have nowhere safe for you. So it really depends on the color of your skin and it depends on the society that we live in. And as long as we still have hate in society, as long as we have rabbis are saying that we're diseases and we need to demolish from the society and the only thing is normal is a mother and a father, you'll have someone that just being asked threaten him. So we need to pull up light wherever there's hate. And, and I feel a bit ignorant because I, I'm surprised to hear you talking about white privilege because in my mind, this is Israel and it's the Middle East. And uh, I wouldn't think that that would be a thing here, even though I guess it's a thing in many, many parts of the world. I cannot talk about the LGBT cause in Israel without talking about occupation. You know, I think if we're not talking about occupation, we are blind and not using our privileges right. I cannot apologize for being privileged. I cannot apologize for the color of my skin, but I can apologize what I'm not doing enough with my privileges. And this is what we need to do. Uh, no one needs to hate me for being privileged, but as privileged, we need to use our privileges to try to change reality. And if we can, we need to. You know, in my first two years at the position as the LGBT um, head of the Aguda. Can you just define Aguda for people who don't yeah, know? Yeah, Aguda is the Israeli National task, uh, LGBT Task Force. And it's kind of the umbrella organizations of all Israeli LGBT uh, NGOs. And is it an official part of the government or separate? No, no, it's civil society. It's oh, an okay. NGO. It's, it's, it's an NGO established back in 1975. It was illegal to be gay in Israel in 1975. It, that bill was canceled just in 1988. So you can imagine that history is really short here. And we're really jumping in, in big steps every time. And I was afraid to speak politically about the occupation that I, and, and my belief that it's the same cause, that it's, if I have my rights, but Samira, my lesbian friends from Botchil Boulevard won't have the same rights. So it's worth nothing because it's not for everyone. That equality, it's an empty bubble if it's not for, for all of us. And I cannot support gay rights without supporting uh, Arabs' rights or, or um, Russian rights or Ethiopian rights or, or the cause uh, against uh, racism. Uh, it's the same cause. I asked the question, what if you would give me now an envelope with glitter and rainbows and inside all the rights that we still don't have in Israel as LGBTs. And you put it inside and you wrap it well and you give it to me as a present and I say, wow, now we have all of our rights. What's next? We close everything. We shut the, the curtains and we close the 15 amazing organizations that we have on the ground here. And we stop being politically involved as LGBTs. I think the answer is no. And I know that many of us think the same. And sometimes we're too busy with our own 
crappy, shitty life things that we have. It's hard to walk in scare in, in the streets in the south of Tel Aviv. It's hard that you have employment issues. It's hard that you have discrimination at the health system. It's really hard. It's hard that no one understands you and no one accepts you and your family kind of kicks you away and you have no solutions and you're 32 and you're trans and there's no... There's nowhere to go. So it's hard from that position to talk about Palestinian rights. But this exactly where us, the privilege, gets in. Because we need to... The trans issue is the most urgent issue to take care of in the Israeli LGBT community. It's the most urgent issue way before surrogacy, way before marriage, way before anything. We need to keep ourselves safe. And then we can be clear to, to work on other subjects. But when I'm supporting the right to be safe in the streets, I need to support it for everyone. We'll, we'll have equality for LGBTs in Israel. I promise you that as long as I have bread in my, in my lungs, we'll have it. We'll have it. We need to get into power positions and to bring Israel over the rainbow and to take those... Um, arenas to be the progressive liberal arenas that we want to have. And I believe that Tel Aviv, it's not a bubble, it's a lighthouse. And we are the most powerful city in Israel. And we have the effect on other cities and other um, um, communities that are not Tel Aviv to do the same as us and to be progressive and liberal and accepting towards. And for me, Feminism is one of the mothers of the LGBT cause and of the gay liberation movement that was established in the States. We're celebrating 50 years of Stonewall this year. And we kind of need to remember history. And history is that unless the feminist movement, it was the first social movement that challenged the uh, traditional roles of men and women in society the gay liberation movement won't be able to do what we did all in those 50 years since Stonewall. So we need to remember our mothers and our fathers and to understand always the wider connection to things. You know, my I have this thing in the last years, I'm so hectic and in front of all of this political activism and... and Sometimes I come back at night at home and I'm saying to Alit, my wife, I don't know how I came to it. I just want to sit quietly and, and grow tomatoes in the garden. And why, why I'm doing it? Like, like I'm tired, I'm paying a personal price. And so a big part of me just want to drop it all and grow by a house up north of Israel with a view and to grow tomatoes in the garden. But a the bigger part of me want to do whatever is needed to create change. And if the next step will be come back to the civil arena and to, to do it from there, I believe from my perspective after 20 something years in the civil arena that we must get into politics. So it's really not the position that I'm after. It's the place that I have the most larger effect. And if I found out that I have a, I, succeeded to gain a large effect for being deputy mayor, I'll stay here. And if I feel it was not 
my goals and I see the change is not promoting well. So I'll choose differently, but it's not, I'm not chasing after positions. I believe that you need to do things slow and firm and to build structures that will stay here long after us. And no one will, like in synagogues in the States, no one will have like a big plate with the name on, on honor of Chen Arieli. But it's free, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. As long as we have the table and we can sit around it. I really believe that. I think that's a great place to leave it on. Thanks for taking time for this. My pleasure. That's it for today. We'll be back next week. But until then, come find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. That's a great way to stay connected and recommend guests. We are brought to you by Luminary Media, Neon Hum Media, and The Advocate. The Advocate magazine is the world's leading LGBTQ news source. Come check out our website at advocate.com. LGBTQ&A is produced by Jonathan Hirsch, Zach Stafford, John Asante, Tanner Robbins, Betty Marquez-Rosales, Natalie Bader, Karin Navadia, and myself, with sound engineering by Scott Somerville and Mark Bush. We'll see you next week.